February 26 through March 3rd of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simon Wainwright morning and evening daily readings by charles spurgeon morning february twenty six salvation is of the lord jonah chapter two verse nine salvation is the work of god it is he alone who quickens the soul dead in trespasses and sins and it is he also who maintains the soul in its spiritual life he is both alpha and omega salvation is of the lord if i am prayerful god makes me prayerful if i have graces they are god's gifts to me if i hold on in a consistent life it is because he upholds me with his hand i do nothing whatever towards my own preservation except what god himself first does in me whatever i have all my goodness is of the lord alone wherein i sin that is my own but wherein i act rightly that is of god wholly and completely if i have repulsed a spiritual enemy the lord's strength nerved my arm do i live before men a consecrated life it is not i but christ who liveth in me am i sanctified i did not cleanse myself god's holy spirit sanctifies me am i weaned from the world i am weaned by god's chastisements sanctified to my good do i grow in knowledge the great instructor teaches me all my jewels were fashioned by heavenly art i find in god all that i want but i find in myself nothing but sin and misery he only is my rock and my salvation do i feed on the word the word would be no food for me unless the lord made it food for my soul and helped me to feed upon it do i live on the manna which comes down from heaven what is that manna but jesus christ himself incarnate whose body and whose blood i eat and drink am i continually receiving fresh increase of strength where do i gather my might my help cometh from heaven's hills without jesus I can do nothing. As a branch cannot bring forth fruit except it abide in the vine, no more can I except I abide in him. What Jonah learned in the great deep, let me learn this morning in my closet. Salvation is of the Lord. Evening, February 26. Behold, if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that hath 
the plague. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 13. Strange enough this regulation appears, yet there was wisdom in it. For the throwing out of the disease proved that the constitution was sound. This evening it may be well for us to see the typical teaching of so singular a rule. We too are lepers, and may read the law of the leper as applicable to ourselves. When a man sees himself to be altogether lost and ruined, covered all over with the defilement of sin, and in no part free from pollution, when he disclaims all righteousness of his own, and pleads guilty before the Lord, then he is clean through the blood of Jesus, and the grace of God. Hidden, unfelt, unconfessed iniquity is the true leprosy. But when sin is seen and felt, it has received its death blow. And the Lord looks with eyes of mercy upon the soul afflicted with it. Nothing is more deadly than self-righteousness or more hopeful than contrition. We must confess that we are nothing else but sin, for no confession short of this will be the whole truth. And if the Holy Spirit be at work with us, convincing us of sin, there will be no difficulty about making such an acknowledgment. It will spring spontaneously from our lips. What comfort does the text afford to truly awakened sinners? The very circumstance which so grievously discouraged them is here turned into a sign and symptom of a hopeful state. Stripping comes before clothing. Digging out the foundation is the first thing in building, and a thorough sense of sin is one of the earliest works of grace in the heart. O oh, thou poor leprous sinner, utterly destitute of a sound spot, take heart from the text, and come as thou art to Jesus. For let our debts be what they may, however great or small, as soon as we have not to pay, our Lord forgives us all. Tis perfect poverty alone that sets the soul at large, while we can call one might our own, we have no full discharge. Morning February 27th, Thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Psalm 91, verse 9. The Israelites in the wilderness were continually exposed to change. Whenever the pillar stayed its motion, the tents were pitched. But tomorrow, ere the morning sun had risen, the trumpet sounded, the ark was in motion, and the fiery, cloudy pillar was leading the way through the narrow defiles of the mountain, up the hillside or along the arid waste of the wilderness. 
they had scarcely time to rest a little before they heard the sound away this is not your rest you must still be onward journeying towards canaan they were never long in one place even wells and palm trees could not detain them yet they had an abiding home in their god his cloudy pillar was their roof tree and its flame by night their household fire they must go onward from place to place continually changing never having time to settle and to say now we are secure in this place we shall dwell yet says moses though we are always changing lord thou hast been our dwelling place throughout all generations the christian knows no change with regard to god he may be rich today and poor tomorrow he may be sickly today and well tomorrow he may be in happiness today tomorrow he may be distressed but there is no change with regard to his relationship to god if he loved me yesterday he loves me today my unmoving mansion of rest is my blessed lord let prospects be blighted let hopes be blasted let joy be withered let mildews destroy everything i have lost nothing of what i have in god he is my strong habitation whereunto i can continually resort i am a pilgrim in the world but at home in my god in the earth i wander but in god i dwell in a quiet habitation evening february twenty seventh whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting micah chapter five verse two the lord jesus had goings forth for his people as their representative before the throne long before they appeared upon the stage of time it was from everlasting that he signed the compact with his father that he would pay blood for blood suffering for suffering agony for agony and death for death in the behalf of his people it was from everlasting that he gave himself up without a murmuring word that from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot he might sweat great drops of blood that he might be spit upon pierced mocked rent asunder and crushed beneath the pains of death his goings forth as our surety were from everlasting pause my soul and wonder thou hast goings forth in the person of jesus from forever not only when thou was born into the world did christ love thee but his delights were with the sons of men before there were any sons of men often did he think of them from everlasting to everlasting he had set his affections upon them what my soul has he been so long about thy salvation and will not 
he accomplish it? Has he from everlasting been going forth to save me, and will he lose me now? What? Has he carried me in his hand as his precious jewel, and will he now let me slip from between his fingers? Did he choose me before the mountains were brought forth, or the channels of the deep were digged, and will he reject me now? Impossible. I am sure he would not have loved me so long if he had not been a changeless lover. If he could grow weary of me, he would have been tired of me long before now. If he had not loved me with a love as deep as hell and as strong as death, he would have turned from me long ago. Oh, joy, above all joys, to know that I am his everlasting and inalienable inheritance given to him by his father, or ever the world was. Everlasting love shall be the pillow of my head this night. Morning, February 28th. My expectation is from him. Psalm 62, verse 5. It is the believer's privilege to use this language. If he is looking for aught from the world, it is a poor expectation indeed. But if he looks to God for the supply of his wants, whether in temporal or spiritual blessings, his expectation will not be a vain one. Constantly he may draw from the bank of faith and get his needs supplied out of the riches of God's loving-kindness. This I know. I had rather have God for my banker than all the Rothschilds. My Lord never fails to honor his promises, and when we bring them to his throne, he never sends them back unanswered. Therefore, I will wait only at his door, for he ever opens it with the hand of munificent grace. At this hour, I will try him anew. But we have expectations beyond this life. We shall die soon, and then our expectation is from him. Do we not expect that when we lie upon the bed of sickness, he will send angels to carry us to his bosom? We believe that when the pulse is faint and the heart heaves heavily, some angelic messengers shall stand and look with loving eyes upon us and whisper, Sister Spirit, come away. As we approach the heavenly gate, we expect to hear the welcome invitation, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We are expecting harps of gold and crowns of glory, we are hoping soon to be amongst the multitude of shining ones before the throne. We are looking forward and longing for the time when we shall be like our glorious Lord, for we shall see him as he is. Then, if these be thine expectations, O my soul, live for God, live with the desire and resolve to glorify him, from whom cometh all thy supplies. 
and of whose grace in thy election, redemption, and calling it is that thou hast any expectation of coming glory. Evening, February 28th. The barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. First Kings, chapter 17, verse 16. See the faithfulness of divine love. You observe that this woman had daily necessities. She had herself and her son to feed in a time of famine. And now, in addition, the prophet Elijah was to be fed too. But though the need was threefold, yet the supply of meal wasted not, for she had a constant supply. Each day she made calls upon the barrel, but yet each day it remained the same. You, dear reader, have daily necessities, and because they come so frequently, you are apt to fear that the barrel of meal will one day be empty, and the cruise of oil will fail you. Rest assured that according to the word of God this shall not be the case. Each day, though it bring its troubles, shall bring its help. And though you should live to outnumber the years of Methuselah, and though your needs should be as many as the sands of the seashore, yet shall God's grace and mercy last through all your necessities, and you shall never know a real want. For three long years in this widow's days, the heavens never saw a cloud, and the stars never wept a holy tear of dew upon the wicked earth. Famine and desolation and death made the land a howling wilderness. But this woman never was hungry, but always joyful in abundance. So shall it be with you. You shall see the sinner's hope perish, for he trusts his native strength. You shall see the proud Pharisee's confidence totter, for he builds his hope upon the sand. You shall see even your own schemes blasted and withered, but you yourself shall find that your place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. Your bread shall be given you, and your water shall be sure. Better have God for your guardian than the Bank of England for your possession. You might spend the wealth of the Indies, but the infinite riches of God you can never exhaust. Morning, February 29th. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The thunders of the law and the terrors of judgment are all used to bring us to Christ. But the final victory is effected by loving kindness. The prodigal set out to his father's house from a sense of need. But his father saw him a great way off and ran to meet him, so that the last steps he took towards his father's house were with the kiss still warm upon his cheek and the welcome still musical in his ears. Law and terror do but harden, all the while they work alone. But a sense of blood-bought pardon will dissolve a heart of stone. 
the master came one night to the door and knocked with the iron hand of the law the door shook and trembled upon its hinges but the man piled every piece of furniture which he could find against the door for he said i will not admit the man the master turned away but by and by he came back and with his own soft hand using most that part where the nail had penetrated he knocked again oh so softly and tenderly this time the door did not shake but strange to say it opened and there upon his knees the once unwilling host was found rejoicing to receive his guest come in come in thou hast so knocked that my bowels are moved for thee i could not think of thy pierced hand leaving its blood mark on my door and of thy going away houseless thy head filled with dew and thy locks with the drops of the night i yield i yield thy love has won my heart so in every case loving-kindness wins the day what moses with the tablets of stone could never do christ does with his pierced hand such is the doctrine of effectual calling do i understand it experimentally can i say he drew me and i followed on glad to confess the voice divine if so may he continue to draw me till at last i shall sit down at the marriage supper of the lamb evening february twenty ninth now we have received the spirit which is of god that we might know the things that are freely given to us of god first corinthians chapter two verse twelve dear reader have you received the spirit which is of god wrought by the holy ghost in your soul the necessity of the work of the holy spirit in the heart may be clearly seen from this fact that all which has been done by god the father and by god the son must be ineffectual to us unless the spirit shall reveal these things to our souls what effect does the doctrine of election have upon any man until the spirit of god enters into him election is a dead letter to my consciousness until the spirit of god calls me out of darkness into marvelous light then through my calling i see my election and knowing myself to be called of god i know myself to have been chosen in the eternal purpose a covenant was made with the lord jesus christ by his father but what avails that covenant to us until the holy spirit brings us its blessings and opens our hearts to receive them there hang the blessings on the nail christ jesus but being short of stature we cannot reach them the spirit of god takes them down and hands them to us and thus they become actually ours covenant blessings in themselves are like the manna in the skies far out of mortal reach 
but the Spirit of God opens the windows of heaven and scatters the living bread around the camp of the spiritual Israel. Christ's finished work is like wine stored in the wine vat. Through unbelief we can neither draw nor drink. The Holy Spirit dips our vessels into this precious wine, and then we drink. But without the Spirit, we are as truly dead in sin as though the Father never had elected, and though the Son had never bought us with his blood. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to our well-being. Let us walk lovingly towards him and tremble at the thought of grieving him. Morning, March 1st. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16. Anything is better than the dead calm of indifference. Our souls may wisely desire the north wind of trouble, if that alone can be sanctified to the drawing forth of the perfume of our graces. So long as it cannot be said, the Lord was not in the wind. We will not shrink from the most wintry blast that ever blew upon plants of grace. Did not the spouse in this verse humbly submit herself to the reproofs of her beloved, only entreating him to send forth his grace in some form, and making no stipulation as to the peculiar manner in which it should come. Did she not, like ourselves, become so utterly weary of deadness and unholy calm that she sighed for any visitation which would brace her to action? Yet she desires the warm south wind of comfort too, the smiles of divine love, the joy of the Redeemer's presence. These are often mightily effectual to arouse our sluggish life. She desires either one or the other, or both, so that she may but be able to delight her beloved with the spices of her garden. She cannot endure to be unprofitable, nor can we. How cheering a thought that Jesus can find comfort in our poor feeble graces. Can it be? It seems far too good to be true. Well, may we court trial, or even death itself, if we shall thereby be aided to make glad Emmanuel's heart. Oh, that our heart were crushed to atoms, if only by such bruising our sweet Lord Jesus could be glorified. Graces unexercised are as sweet perfumes slumbering in the cups of the flowers. The wisdom of the great husbandman overrules diverse and opposite causes to produce the one desired result and makes both affliction and consolation draw forth the grateful odors of faith, love, patience, hope, resignation, joy, and the other fair flowers of the garden. May we know by sweet experience what 
this means. Evening, March 1st, He is precious. First Peter chapter 2, verse 7. As all the rivers run into the sea, so all delights center in our beloved. The glances of his eyes outshine the sun. The beauties of his face are fairer than the choicest flowers. No fragrance is like the breath of his mouth. Gems of the mind and pearls from the sea are worthless things when measured by his preciousness. Peter tells us that Jesus is precious, but he did not and could not tell us how precious, nor could any of us compute the value of God's unspeakable gift. Words cannot set forth the preciousness of the Lord Jesus to his people, nor fully tell how essential he is to their satisfaction and happiness. Believer, have you not found in the midst of plenty a sore famine if your Lord has been absent? The sun was shining, but Christ had hidden himself, and all the world was black to you. Or it was night, and since the bright and morning star was gone, no other star could yield you so much as a ray of light. What a howling wilderness is this world without our Lord! If once he hideth himself from us, withered are the flowers of our garden, our pleasant fruits decay, the birds suspend their songs, and a tempest overturns our hopes. All earth's candles cannot make daylight if the sun of righteousness be eclipsed. He is the soul of our soul, the light of our light, the life of our life. Dear reader, what wouldst thou do in the world without him? When thou wakest up and lookest forward to the day's battle, what wouldst thou do at night when thou comest home jaded and weary? If there were no door of fellowship between thee and Christ, blessed be his name. He will not suffer us to try our lot without him. For Jesus never forsakes his own. Yet, let the thought of what life would be without him enhance his preciousness. Morning, March 2nd. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his matok. First Samuel chapter 13 verse 20. We are engaged in a great war with the Philistines of evil. Every weapon within our reach must be used. Preaching, teaching, praying, giving, all must be brought into action, and talents which have been thought too mean for service must now be employed. Coulter and axe and matok may all be useful in slaying Philistines. Rough tools, may deal hard blows, and killing need not be elegantly done, so long as it is done effectually. Each moment of time, in season or out of season, each fragment of ability, educated or untutored, each opportunity, favorable or unfavorable, must be used. For our foes are many, and our force but slender. 
Most of our tools want sharpening. We need quickness of perception, tact, energy, promptness, and a word, complete adaptation to the Lord's work. Practical common sense is a very scarce thing among the conductors of Christian enterprises. We might learn from our enemies if we would, and so make the Philistines sharpen our weapons. This morning let us note enough to sharpen our zeal during this day by the aid of the Holy Spirit. See the energy of the Papists, how they compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Are they to monopolize all the earnestness? Mark the heathen devotees, what tortures they endure in the service of their idols. Are they alone to exhibit patience and self-sacrifice? Observe the prince of darkness, how preserving in his endeavors, how unabashed in his attempts, how daring in his plans, how thoughtful in his plots, how energetic in all. The devils are united as one man in their infamous rebellion, while we believers in Jesus are divided in our service of God, and scarcely ever work with unanimity. Oh, that from Satan's infernal industry we may learn to go about like good Samaritans, seeking whom we may bless. Evening, March 2nd. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. The Apostle Paul felt it a great privilege to be allowed to preach the gospel. He did not look upon his calling as a drudgery, but he entered upon it with intense delight. Yet, while Paul was thus thankful for his office, his success in it greatly humbled him. The fuller a vessel becomes, the deeper it sinks in the water. Idlers may indulge a fine conceit of their abilities because they are untried. But the earnest worker soon learns his own weakness. If you seek humility, try hard work. If you would know your nothingness, attempt some great thing for Jesus. If you would feel how utterly powerless you are apart from the living God, attempt especially the great work of proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you will know, as you never knew before, what a weak, unworthy thing you are. Although the apostle thus knew and confessed his weakness, he was never perplexed as to the subject of his ministry. From his first sermon to his last, Paul preached Christ and nothing but Christ. He lifted up the cross and extolled the Son of God who bled thereon. Follow his example in all your personal efforts to spread the glad tidings of salvation and let Christ and him crucified be your ever-recurring theme. The Christian should be like those loving spring flowers which when the sun is shining open their golden cups 
as if saying, Fill us with thy beams. But when the sun is hidden behind a cloud, they close their cups and drop their heads. So should the Christian feel the sweet influence of Jesus. Jesus must be his son, and he must be the flower which yields itself to the sun of righteousness. Oh, to speak of Christ alone, this is the subject which is both seed for the sower and bread for the eater. This is the live coal for the lip of the speaker and the master key to the heart of the hearer. Morning, March 3rd. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 10. Comfort thyself, tried believer, with this thought. God saith, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Does not the word come like a soft shower, assaging the fury of the flame? Yea, is it not as an asbestos armor against which the heat hath no power? Let affliction come. God has chosen me. Poverty, thou mayest stride in at my door, but God is in the house already, and he has chosen me. Sickness, thou mayest intrude, but I have a balsam ready. God has chosen me. Whatever befalls me in this vale of tears, I know that he has chosen me. If, believer, thou requirest still greater comfort, remember that you have the Son of Man with you, in the furnace in that silent chamber of yours there sitteth by your side one whom thou hast not seen but whom thou lovest and oft times when thou knowest it not he makes all thy bed in thy affliction and smooths thy pillow for thee thou art in poverty but in that lovely house of thine the Lord of life and glory is a frequent visitor. He loves to come into these desolate places that he may visit thee. Thy friend sticks closely to thee. Thou canst not see him, but thou mayst feel the pressure of his hands. Dost thou not hear his voice? Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, Fear not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Remember that noble speech of Caesar. Fear not, thou carriest Caesar and all his fortune. Fear not, Christian, Jesus is with thee. In all thy fiery trials, his presence is both thy comfort and safety. He will never leave one whom he has chosen for his own. Fear not, for I am with thee is his sure message of promise to his chosen ones in the furnace of affliction. Wilt thou not then take fast hold of Christ and say, Through floods and flames, if Jesus lead, I'll follow where he goes. Evening, March 3rd. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 
as the spirit of god descended upon the lord jesus the head so he also in measure descends upon the members of the mystical body his descent is to us after the same fashion as that in which it fell upon our lord there is often a singular rapidity about it or ever we are aware we are impelled onward and heavenward beyond all expectation yet is there none of the hurry of earthly haste for the wings of the dove are as soft as they are swift quietness seems essential to many spiritual operations the lord is in the still small voice and like the dew his grace is distilled in silence the dove has ever been the chosen type of purity and the holy spirit is holiness itself where he cometh everything that is pure and lovely and of a good report is made to abound and sin and uncleanness depart peace reigns also where the holy dove comes with power he bears the olive branch which shows the waters of divine wrath are assuaged gentleness is a sure result of the sacred dove's transforming power hearts touched by his benign influence are meek and lowly henceforth and for ever harmlessness follows as a matter of course eagles and ravens may hunt their prey the turtle dove can endure wrong but cannot inflict it we must be harmless as doves the dove is an apt picture of love the voice of the turtle is full of affection and so the soul visited by the blessed spirit abounds in love to god in love to the brethren and in love to sinners and above all in love to jesus the brooding of the spirit of god upon the face of the deep first produced order and life and in our hearts he causes and fosters new life and light blessed spirit as thou didst rest upon our dear redeemer even so rest upon us from this time forward and forever end of february twenty sixth through march third recording by simon wainwright